You are listening to The Pause Podcast with me, Dr. Benji Epstein, a podcast where we will be giving ourselves the permission to pause. This will be a practical guide to live a life with courage, presence, and authenticity. Join us to reconnect with your most soulful and authentic self by pausing together. All right. All is right. Here we go. The penultimate episode of the podcast. Are we here already? Are we here already? Yeah, this week flew. I'm going to miss these weekly get-togethers, Ben. It has been really nice. Nope. Don't be sad it's over. Be glad it happened. Bittersweet. More sweet than bitter. Uh, but still, so many of you have reached out to us uh, to ask us what's next. For right now, we're going to focus on the present. We're focusing on the here and now. A lot of people have reached out and said that they use the podcast to fall asleep. I'm not sure. Is that a compliment? I think so, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's very relaxing. It's relaxing, right. It's supposed to be relaxing. Just again, if if you're using this to fall asleep, again, the goal really is to fall awake, but uh, we're happy that you're using this. Um, we need to get the next book finished. And there are sponsorship opportunities available. Be in touch with my agent. And focusing on the clinical practice, which now includes executive coaching and psychedelic integration. And of course, designing hats and hoodies. Um, always open to new ideas. So please, please keep in touch. Keep the tribe together. Uh, DrBenji.com. And of course, as we always do and always will continue to do for another two weeks, we share our positivity. We've got two here. One is from Rib Neal, who's been a fan since the start out in the great state of Illinois. Come on, make some noise. Come on and feel the Illinois. That's what I was going with. I appreciate you, Ben. I appreciate you because you knew where I was going. You saw that I mucked it up and still, can I say muck it up? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's fair. Thanks, Gav. And thank you to Gav and Jason. And this is from Rib Neal. I want to thank you and the pause team for the recent episode titled saying yes to life in spite of everything celebrating the power of acceptance is to me a game changer i like most experience challenges with daily stress self-esteem self-doubt communication breakdowns shout out to led zeppelin and by learning to say yes to life he gave himself a shout out i appreciate it I've always seen positive change in my mindset. It's a comfortable approach to the not-so-positive things that happen, as they are ultimately for our growth. Saying yes to the good things is also a powerful way to show gratitude to Hashem. I thank you all again for this episode, and I'm looking forward to the next one. Cannot wait till we take whatever show, however we incarnate this show, uh, on the road and make our stop in Chi-Town. Come on and feel... The Illinois. <laughs> the Illinois. <laughs> and here's another one. Um, I just got this in a voice note uh, from Anonymous, who has also been a constant source of chizuk and feedback on this journey. And he writes, I needed to share that I'm proud of myself and thankful for the pod. Someone in my life just caused me a significant amount of pain. I sat down with it and decided to explore the emotion. Right? Welcoming the guests. I rode the waves and I tried as best I could to accept them. The pain wasn't resolved, but the wave has mostly subsided. And I didn't let it make me do something that I regret, and I didn't repress it. I owned it, 
and now I feel like I'm moving forward and I feel stronger. What's funny is that at first it felt like a lump in my chest. Now it feels like a muscle in that same place. I'm standing taller now. Thank you for this, Dr. Benji. We, we are all standing taller from hearing this. So thank you, Matok. Thank you for sharing. And thanks to Dove, Pinky, and Sabina for the beautiful voice notes. All right, that's housekeeping. 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 House, housekeeping. <laughs> so we're really in it right now. We're entering into the ninth of Av, Tisha B'Av, the day of just sitting in all of it, feeling all the pain and trauma for ourselves and for our people. And the only way we can hold all of these strong emotions to welcome all of the guests is from a place of self-compassion, of Rachmanus. And we begin with the first paragraph in the 64th chapter of Rabbi Nachman's Likute Maran, because Basof, you understand. And he starts, Rabbi Nachman starts with the unstated question of why did God create the world? It's pretty much the question. After all is said and done, what is all of this, looks around, even doing here? What's the purpose that all of this exists? And he writes that God created the world as a consequence of his compassion because God on his level wanted, desired to reveal his compassion. And if creation had not taken place, to whom would he have been able to show this compassion? He therefore created the entire world from the inception of the worlds of Atzilut, of emanation, all the way down to the center point of this corporeal world, all of it, the entire creation in order to display his compassion, everything. Everything exists because of compassion. Everything exists because of compassion. This entire creation, every single point of this Bria, is to reveal and demonstrate this Midah of Rachamim, of Rachmanut, and Mahu Af'ata, the purpose of one's entire existence, the Tachlis of our entire Avoda in this world, the purpose of being Davuk Tashem is to cultivate this trait, this Midah of Rachmanus, self-compassion, compassion. And yet, there is often one person in our lives who, no matter how hard we try, becomes the exception. This person's actions or behavior make it incredibly difficult for us to forgive them. And we struggle. We struggle to feel compassion towards this person. And consequently, this lack of empathy, this lack of Rachmanus, not only prevents us from extending mercy to that individual, it also keeps our own hearts closed off to others. And the person I am of course referring to is ourselves. We are inherently programmed to perceive ourselves as separate entities and instinctively search for potential threats or negative aspects, something to go wrong. We wake up in the middle of the night. That is a completely normal and 
It's part and parcel of our human DNA. And this goes back where we would wake up, scan the environment, make sure there were no tigers, and then go back to sleep. And this inherent inclination is referred to in the literature, our negativity bias, can serve as a protective mechanism to ensure our safety. However, it is a very swift and easy transition from perceiving something wrong in our surroundings to internalizing a sense of personal inadequacy. Thus, being human often entails adopting a mindset of deficiency, something in the way, right? It's a very quick step to thinking that something is wrong in the environment to thinking I'm wrong, that there's something wrong with me. And there's also a cultural aspect to consider, especially in Western societies. We find ourselves lacking natural places, avenues for a sense of belonging that allows us to fully embrace our inherent goodness. Instead, we reside in a fear-driven culture that promotes excessive consumption and fosters competitiveness. Let's all log on to Twitter for a minute here, right? Checks Twitter, burns computer, right? You know the gif with the, this is okay. <laughs> Everything is okay. Everything. This is okay. This is fine. This is fine. That's what it is. <laughs> this is fine. <laughs> the dog with the room on the fire. The dog with the room on I fire. This is fine, right? We're not encouraged to cultivate contentment or simply appreciate the present moment as sufficient. Our environment perpetuates the notion that we should constantly strive for improvement and always aspire to be more. I should be better. I should be more. Hmm. Harder, better, faster, stronger. And that environment has also bled into our own yeshivos and bate medrash, where there can be an attitude of hatzlacha and success that is so far from the correct vantage point for how a person should be approaching their avodas Hashem and Talmud Torah. And the word success in vernacular doesn't mean what it used to mean. He's very successful. And can any of you relate to that, experiencing such sentiments in your own lives during your time in yeshiva or seminary? And what we need to do is work past this initial fight or flight reaction and get to the tend and befriend aspects of our wiring, because that's there too. It's just not as well cultivated. It's just not as easy to access. It takes training. But remember, we are a tribe of spiritual warriors. And once we get that we're suffering because we're at war with ourselves, there can be a deep and sincere commitment to embracing our own being and embracing life everywhere. And I can't stress this enough, Pause Nation. And I'm going to miss you, but it's not goodbye. It's Lihitraot. And one of the ways that my teachers have taught me about waking up this compassion neural network is the idea of conscious community, B'nai Machshavatova, a place where we're able to share our vulnerabilities, where we can mirror back each other's goodness. We take the inevitable conflicts and turn them into deeper understanding, and we listen deeply. We lean in with the intention to change by what we've been listening to. There is a sense of belonging to each other, and as we've stressed at every opportunity, and this is what we're leaving you with, because the goal is soul, Anan Bechavivusa Talia Milsa. We are one. We're not the same, but we get to carry each other. And as I've written, 
about in the introduction to my book. Have you bought my book yet? Right, Ben's bought it. I got it. Ben bought it. Okay. If you're out there, living in the presence. And what I realized as I was writing it is that my deepest suffering was a sense of not being enough. And when it was very bad, there was a sense of self-aversion. And the sense of not being enough is one of the most pervasive sources of suffering in our society. How far are you? Just ask yourself this question. Pause and ask yourself this question. How far are you from treating yourself like you would a good friend? And even more than that, how many of us simply don't trust ourselves? And what we're doing is, is failing to recognize what Tara Brock calls the trance of unworthiness. How much we are trapped in the sense of falling short. It's an almost imperceptible, subtle background noise that's always saying, how am I doing now? Is okay? And what we frequently discover or uncover is a disconnect between our idealized self-perception and our present moment awareness. And within that gap, we find ourselves perpetually feeling inadequate or not okay. He's not okay. And when that inevitably follows, and then what inevitably follows that is suffering. For example, if you're in a relationship and you realize or feel about yourself, I can't really be close to anyone. Or if someone got to know me, they'd reject me. Sounds painful, right? The irony is that pain can be a wake-up to explore paths to begin to stop the incessant war against ourselves. That's the wake-up call. And so ironically, it's the pain, the suffering that starts as our alarm. And it's the same as listening. It's usually when we aren't listening that we're brought painfully back to reality, leaning in softly with the willingness to be changed by what we hear. All right, we're going to turn this to the audience. Why aren't we more self-compassionate? Ben, you ever hard on yourself? Jason? Larry? Yeah. <laughs> right? So where's it, why, 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 are we, why aren't we more self-compassionate? I mean, probably because at a certain times, other people were not compassionate enough with us. Right. You know? Right. We, we didn't, we didn't, we, it wasn't modeled. Right. Mm. Or like, like kids are mean and do mean things to other kids in school. And then we internalized that message. Yeah. Like that we were the ones. That, it was our problem. It was my fault that I got bullied. Fault. Right. What I found is the number one reason that people give for why they aren't more self-compassionate. And this is what Larry said. Did we get his answer? Oh, he's in the back. I didn't hear Larry's answer. <laughs> <laughs> is there's a fear that if they aren't, you know, harsh with themselves, that they're going to be too easy on themselves. We need constant self-criticism to spur ourselves on because if I don't do that, the worry is, well, I'll just skip work and eat three tubs of ice cream and watch Adventure Time or Midnight Gospel, which is a shout out to my guru Duncan all day. In other words, isn't self-compassion really the same thing as self-indulgence? And before we even get there, we should contemplate for a moment whether self-criticism really lives up to its reputation as a powerful motivator. Because what extensive research has indicated is that individuals, and we could talk about this you know, anecdotally, 
people who engage in self-criticism tend to experience higher levels of anxiety and depression, which is hardly conducive to cultivating a proactive and motivated mindset. You're not serving yourself. Also, people who are self-critics, raise your hand, everyone's raising your hands, often hold lower self-efficacy beliefs, meaning they lack confidence in their own abilities. And when you don't believe in yourself, right, it's going to hamper and undermine your potential for achieving success. So this is not a get-up-and-go mindset. This is the musician's mindset. This is, this is, this is, this is a musician, <laughs> right? And the irony is we think the self-criticism will shield us from failure, but it engenders this fear of failure because if you're going to be critical of yourself, you're never going to sort of attempt to try to achieve your goals because if you, God forbid, fail, God forbid, instead of failing better, right, the possibility of failure is unacceptable. If I don't try, I can never fail. Also, more problematic, at least what I've seen clinically, is that if you are a self-critic, you're going to have a hard time seeing yourself clearly and identifying the needed areas of improvement because the prospect of the self-punishment that will ensue if you admit that you have to work on something is not something that you relish, right? So you can see how much better it would be to deny that there's a problem or even better, I'll blame it on someone else. Right? It's way better than the alternative, right? Pointing one finger at you. To regret one's own experience is to arrest one's own development. To deny one's own experience is to put a lie into the lips of one's own life. It is no less than a denial of the soul. And that's our forever Jung quote. The goal is soul, people. I don't know if we've mentioned that here yet. Not on this episode. Not on this episode. Another thing I've noticed more and more these days, and maybe this is just my own projection, so guilty, is that people tend to have a harsh relationship with their own minds. They criticize themselves a lot and put themselves down, thinking that this will somehow lead to a better life. We're getting overwhelmed by our fears. We're getting scared by our desires. We're ashamed of our anxiety, and we really struggle with the intense and overwhelming emotions that we talked about last week. So if we make a mistake we also feel ashamed. If we're not impressing others, we believe it's because there's something unlikable or irredeemable about us. If we experience loss, pain, sadness, grief, we feel personally embarrassed, as if this was indicative of some personal failing, right? Getting teased in the, in the yard. It's like, I must, something must be wrong with me. So we anguish over our disappointed expectations and what we do is we retaliate our own minds we retaliate against our own minds by loathing our lack of control and that transforms into a form of of self-hatred and there's so many occasions for disbelief please oh please don't continue to believe in your disbelief in our inherent worth when something goes wrong and something inevitably goes wrong when all I feel is removed from the loving presence of God. How am I supposed to believe in that love, in my inherent worth? Yisrael, asher b'cha espoir. You want me to imagine that I'm still very close to you, that I still matter, that my life is meaningful, to believe that I am loved, that my life is making a difference, that my actions make a difference? How is it that I could love myself? How is it that you can love me? It's times like these that provoke this terrifying and depressing internal response that Rahmanus, compassion, closeness, meaning 
that are really our life's objective. They're meant for everyone but myself. The grace exists but remains unavailable to me. And the Gemara, the Talmud speaks on a few occasions of the great scholar, Elisha ben Abuya, who became an apostate later on in his life. He was known as Acher, the other one. And his student, Rabbi Meir, would often beg him, please reconsider. He would bring his teacher proof after proof, showing it's never too late for repentance. And each time, his former master would end the discussion by responding, I have heard a heavenly voice. And it went forth and said, Shuvu banim shovavim. Return, my mischievous children. And the voice said to him, All my children can return, all but Acher, all but me. Even this rabbinic figure, this towering rabbinic figure, could do nothing to overcome this self-doubt. His guilt was so great in his mind that it could not be encompassed by God's love and forgiveness. Everyone can return. All who go don't always return, but everyone can return, no matter how grievous the transgression, except for him. And that really resonates. That really resonates, because don't we often feel the exact same way? When we do something wrong, don't we hear that same voice that Acher heard? We would never counsel our friends or family like this. We would never speak to them like this. But when it comes to ourselves, the whole world... The whole world can make a difference. The whole world can be living in the presence. Every Jew can affect all of the universes. Except for me, says that voice inside. In the exact same way that Acher heard that only he was ineligible to return. He alone could never come back after his misdeed. And why is this compassion for ourselves so difficult? Compassion arises out of our willingness to come close to suffering. So even though, we, even though we may want to be compassionate, it's not always easy to open to the suffering that's there. What are we unwilling to feel, right? We don't want to acknowledge and be open to our own pain because it's really hard to be open to those mind states. And just like it's difficult to be open to our own pain, we often don't particularly want to open to the pain and suffering of others. If we can't find the Nakuda Tova in ourselves, we can't really see the Nakuda Tova in others. Remember, we are working from the inside out. Kamocha Mamish. And what Rabbi Nachman is teaching us, that although our personal experience may tell us otherwise, self-compassion is the most natural thing in the world. It is literally the building blocks of creation. Self-compassion is going to create that caring space within you that is free of judgment, a place that sees your hurt and your failures and softens to allow those experiences with kindness and caring. Ki ikar the main thing, keeping the main thing, the main thing. When we begin to think about this and understand and recognize that I, myself, am deserving of the biggest Rachmanus, despite all that I've done, all of my shortcomings, you still love me and I am still worthy of love. And I can look at the Rachmanus of my life. Who am I really? What do I really want? I am a chelik elokami mal. I am a piece of the Bore Olam. I'm a chip off the divine block, and we are all in the same boat. 
when we feel as if we can't bring out and express in our thoughts, words, and actions this great truth that is burning inside of us. And then we get stuck in superficiality. And then we are unable to feel an intimate connection with a deeper part of who I am, let alone who others are. But it is dafka because we want to learn to love and care for ourselves that we don't want a life that's solely glutted by possessions, stimulation, objects, and experiences that we amass mindlessly, compelled because we don't know what else to do when we wake up in the morning in order to feel alive. It is dafka because we learn to love and care for ourselves that we move away from deifying any voice within that mocks us, humiliates us, and mercilessly shames and puts us down. External, internal. And the internal voice is much harder to drown out. And people worry that self-compassion is some sort of private cocoon that will close them off from other people, making them selfish and self-centered. But the reverse is actually the case. The more open-hearted we are with ourselves, the closer we feel toward the rest of life. The more open-hearted we are with ourselves, the closer we feel toward the rest of life. Self-compassion is the foundation for kindness towards others. When we're accepting of our own idiosyncrasies, we can become more accepting of others. So having Rachmanus on myself, meaning on the deeper self that might not yet have actualized, that hasn't been fully experienced in his or her own exile, the gullus of Shechina within ourselves. And isn't that what we're mourning during these days? If we're able to let go of our egos, see the Rachmanus of our lives and the heart can open up and then we can have Rachmanus on others and their mistakes and their shortcomings. We acknowledge our pain not to get more depressed or drown in the suffering and the righteousness of our self-flagellation, but to see the truth of our experience not just the superficial truth of passing circumstance, but the deeper underlying truth. Looking into the heart of pain, we feel joined to others. We want to get right to the heart of matters because it's the heart that matters more. Sorry, Ben. Oh, I was all about that one. I know. Ruf Cook, H-E-R-E-O, writes in his Oros Hachuva in the 14th Parak chapter. Iker hanafilos baos mipnei she'eno ma'amin bekaluso shalachuva. Rav Kook explains that the Iker hanafilos, our major main downfalls, take place because we don't believe in the ease of chuva, because we don't know, and more heartbreakingly, don't believe how easy it is to do real chuva, to return to essence. The same way I know deep down that the reason I act a certain way isn't because I'm evil or wicked. I'm not a bad person. Anyone listening to this podcast, you're not a bad person. But sometimes I could be lonely, confused, nervous about many things, but I am not. I'm not a Russia. And then my heart can open up and I can start to really see my shortcomings clearly in spite, despite my failures and disappointments and see them clearly. And then what happens is the heart opens and softens, and then I can really see myself, and then I could see the other person. Because if we're in touch with what's going on inside us, 
we also feel much closer to others because that same potential, seen or unseen, actualized or presently wasted, exists within all beings. And we recognize that. Game, respect, game. Or something like that. (laughs) When we see that our lives can transform in an instant to something unrecognizable, from what we anticipated when we woke up this morning and begin the day, and this is true for all of us all the time. This recognition lifts us up and leads us to compassion and its unique happiness, which is connection. The noted Jungian, forever Jung, analyst Robert Johnson acknowledges how difficult it is for many of us to believe in our goodness. We more easily take our worst fears and thoughts to be who we are. This is who I am. The unacknowledged traits, which uh, Jung refers to as the shadow. And he writes, curiously, people resist the noble aspects of their shadow more strenuously than they hide the dark sides. It is more disrupting to find that you have a profound nobility of character. Chelek elokal mimam mamish than to find out you're a bum. We don't believe in our light as much as we believe in our darkness. Hashtag more light. Our belief in a limited and impoverished identity is such a strong habit that without it, we're afraid we wouldn't know how to be. If we fully acknowledged our dignity, our soul, the goal is soul, it could lead to radical life changes. It could ask something huge of us, and yet some part of us knows that this frightened, damaged, limited self is not who we are. Each of us needs to find our way to be whole and free. Dr. Kristen Neff, who is the renowned expert in the field of self-compassion, defines self-compassion as treating oneself with the same kindness and support one would extend to a friend in need. And according to Dr. Neff, Practicing self-compassion entails being patient, kind, understanding towards our own shortcomings, as opposed to ruthlessly criticizing and judging ourselves. And by cultivating self-compassion, we transform into our own allies rather than our adversaries. Her research on self-compassion revolves around three fundamental components. Mindfulness, self-kindness, and recognizing our shared humanity. Mindfulness, we know mindfulness, of course paying attention non-judgmentally in the present moment. And it's a process. It's an attitudinal quality. It's an avoda that entails perceiving each experience as it unfolds, maintaining a state of clear and equanimous awareness. Simply or not so simply, embracing the reality of the present moment by accepting all thoughts, sensations, emotions without evasion or resistance. When we practice mindfulness, we are able to confront the truth of our experiences even when they are uncomfortable or distressing rather than avoiding painful thoughts and emotions. And that empowers us to respond to life's challenges with a fresh perspective and a heightened presence of mind. Number two is the self-kindness. Self-kindness is, as we've mentioned, caring towards ourselves as we are towards other people. Supportive, encouraging, so we protect ourselves from harm. It's choosing to soothe and comfort ourselves when external life circumstances are challenging and feel too difficult to bear, instead of berating ourselves for being inadequate. We can choose to offer ourselves warmth 
and unconditional acceptance. It's treating ourselves with warmth, patience, especially during the challenging times. I know, easier said than done, and easier done than imagined. And the third quality is common humanity. Because at the core of self-compassion, there's a profound sense of interconnectedness. It involves recognizing that all individuals, including ourselves, are imperfect and continuously evolving. We all encounter failures. We all make mistakes. We all endure hardships throughout life. Pain's inevitable. But when we embrace self-compassion, it means accepting, forgiving our flaws, and acknowledging that perfection is not attainable. It's not even the goal. The goal is soul and wholeness, not perfection. Also, with this common humanity, we're able to acknowledge the undeniable truth that suffering is an inescapable aspect of the human condition affecting every person. So this common humanity serves as a reminder that pain is a shared experience and each moment of suffering can become an opportunity for connection with others. So to summarize, Dr. Neff is describing these three essential elements of self-compassion as loving, self-kindness, connected, common humanity, and present, mindfulness. So if we cultivate a mindset of loving, connected presence, our relationship with ourselves, others, our higher power, and the world undergoes a transformative shift. And this is a, an invaluable gift, a gift that we're leaving you with, to offer ourselves and those we care about. And my, my tefillah, my wish, my aspiration for all of us is to embrace self-compassion as a daily practice. As Steve Mariboli once wisely said, the most powerful relationship you will ever have is the relationship with yourself. And this exercise can be used any time of day or night and will help you remember to evoke the three aspects of self-compassion in the moment you need it most. So we're just going to go into the practice. And this is self-compassion. So just sitting in an upright and dignified posture, allowing the chair to support you completely just as you are. And if it feels comfortable for you, allowing the eyes to close gently. Just taking a few moments to find your breath. Scan your experience and see if you can bring into your awareness any emotional distress or other difficulty strain you're experiencing in your life right now. And notice if you can find this discomfort in your body. Where do you feel it? As you bring this discomfort into your awareness, if you wish, now adding the supportive touch that feels right for you, Perhaps this is placing one hand over your heart. Perhaps it is two hands on your heart. Maybe it's simply holding one hand in another in your lap. Take a moment to feel the warmth of your own hand. 
first step in this self-compassion break is simply to notice whatever difficulty is here for you right now. To acknowledge that this is a moment of suffering. And mindfully allowing it to be fully here in your experience. Perhaps saying something to yourself to acknowledge this moment, like, this hurts, or this is what grief feels like in my body. This hurts. This is what stress feels like in my body. Shifting now to connect with your deep sense of knowing that suffering, pain, hardship, loss are part of life for everyone. This, this is in fact part of our common humanity. This, this is what connects all of us. Maybe saying to yourself, I am not alone. I am not alone. Or even, this is what it feels like when anyone experiences heartbreak, when anyone is heartbroken. This is what it feels like when anyone is lonely. This is what it feels like when anyone is grieving. And just simply noticing again your supportive touch on your heart or wherever feels right to you. Sense the warmth and the gentleness of this touch. And now asking yourself, what kind words do I most need to hear right now? What kind words do I need most to hear right now? Perhaps you can say, may I give myself the compassion and kindness I need. May I accept myself just as I am. May I be strong. May I believe in my inherent goodness and worthiness. Just finding whatever words are most nourishing to you. If you can't seem to find the right words, what might you say to a close friend who is struggling with the exact same issue? 
giving yourself whatever kindness you need in this moment even if the words don't come easily allow the feelings of kindness and the desire to be kind to be fully here allowing whatever kind words that come to mind to resonate sensing the self-compassion of this moment you deserve it and breathing in and breathing out just as you are perfect just as you are All right. The greatest nechama, the greatest comfort, the ultimate comfort that a person can receive is that they are not alone and that they are being held, that they are never forgotten or abandoned. The most powerful relationship you will ever have is the relationship with yourself. The goal is mamish soul. We will see you next week for the grand finale. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen ve Amen. Thank you for pausing with us today on this Jewish mindfulness journey. If you enjoyed this pause together, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. This helps us get this and other soulful content released into the world. May the insights and stillness we've accessed today guide us in our daily lives. And may we cultivate greater awareness, compassion, and connection with ourselves, others, and with the divine. Let's pause together again real soon. The goal is soul.